And I stared at uh, my responsibilities this moment, this, with this week. I wondered whether to continue with Romans and the 14th chapter or do a message designed around Memorial Day. And in typical Shousing fashion, I decided to do both. And what has uh, come out is a bit of a mongrel, a mutt, uh, a hybrid, and uh, or let's say an extended, an extended introduction, having to do with Memorial Day and a short sermon from Romans 14. To do that, let me look at three texts: Psalm 105, Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, the fifteenth verse, and the first verse of Romans 14 and of Romans 15. Give attention to this, the reading and the hearing of God's good word. Psalm 105. Remember the wonderful works that God has done. Deuteronomy 5.15. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And Romans 14.1 and 15.1. Accept him whose faith is weak. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. This is God's word. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Memorial Day, I've already reminded us, is a secular observation. Tomorrow, the state, our governance, has called upon us to remember those who have given their lives in the service of our country. Last week we saw that the state has a God-ordained and God-given purpose to preserve and to protect. I am persuaded that proper soldiering requires biblical virtues, such as sacrifice and courage and honor and selflessness from those who serve well. And gratitude is a Christian virtue for all of us, so I believe it is appropriate, and we have done that, that on a Memorial Day weekend, even in church, <clears throat> that we recognize and remember those who have served in our armed forces in general and those who have died in that service in particular. Growing up in Washington, D.C., some of my earliest memories were at monuments, memorials. None made any deeper impression on me than the tomb of the unknown soldier and the changing of the guard on the hour we honor those who have fallen to preserve and protect our nation. But not at that to memorial. Uh, actually, one whose source uh, has been forgotten by me, but not the inscription. On one memorial uh, goes the, the words, the engraving. All have sacrificed some. Some have sacrificed all. A friend of mine, Charlie Crabtree, penned a tribute to soldiers as part of his church's annual observation of Memorial Day. He wrote 
in part and just in small part. We observe Memorial Day to honor those who have died defending our country. General George Patton reminded us that a soldier does not go into battle with the intention of dying. Soldiers don't give their lives. Their lives are taken. But they do give. And here is what they give. They give us the security of not having our cities invaded. They give us protection. They protect our right to rear our children as we see fit. They protect our right to worship or not to worship as we choose. They protect our right to choose our leaders. They protect our right to pursue happiness. They protect our rights to take risks that may or may not allow us to realize our dreams and goals. They protect our right to pursue education. They even protect our right to engage in absurdities. Soldiers don't purposely give their lives for their country. Their lives are brutally and unmistakably taken by force. But what they give, they give to us. So for all these reasons, I believe it is appropriate that in the church and from the church, we remember those who have served in our armed forces in general and those who have given their lives in particular. In honor of those who have fallen, I looked up the statistics of those who have died in United States wars, and I, I came up with a couple of lists, one casualties in war and others those who have died in war. I, I didn't understand the difference, but it's almost doubled. So I'm taking the smaller list, but you can, uh, I think in good conscience, almost double these. But this is the list of those casualties in United States service in war. The Revolutionary War, 8,000. The Civil War, 215,000. World War I, 54,000. World War II, 292,000. The Korean War, 34,000. The Vietnam War, 48,000. Afghanistan, 1,800. And Iraq, 3,400. We salute those whose lives were taken in war. I believe this is also a fitting time not only to remember, but to reflect on why remembering biblically is so important. We live in a time of change, of rapid change. I don't know if that's the reason, but I think we as a people don't tend to look to the past to find much of our wisdom any longer. We view what has been as largely irrelevant for what is now. We don't so often take ancients for our models. But remembering is a practice which is laced throughout scriptures. Apparently a failure to remember puts us in spiritual danger. Forgetfulness can erode our relationship with God. And just a quick, even a cursory survey of the Bible makes apparent the place and role it gives to remembrance. Throughout the scriptures, we find reference to monuments and memorial feasts and ritually repeated stories, all of which serve to reinforce the sacred memory that we have as a people before God. In various ways, the great saving acts of God were rehearsed and represented so that the people of God would never, ever forget what God had done for their sake. The call 
to biblically remember is repeated throughout the Bible with a kind of pounding, refrain, and insistence. Remember that God has called Abraham to be your father and has promised him many children. Remember that you were once in bondage in a foreign land and you have been freed by a divine decision. Remember that God brought Israel to greatness, though she was weak. Remember the commandments that God has given you. So Psalm 105, which we've already heard, sums up that message. Remember the wonderful works that God has done. God's great deeds and the judgment that the Lord utters, O offspring of Abraham, God's servants. Memories are simply parts of who we are. Memories make us who we are. We are people with pasts and traditions and heritages. We are to live towards the future which is before us, but out of the past which pushes us and encourages us into that future. One book, and we'll look at it very briefly, the book of Deuteronomy itself, can be called a book of remembering to a faithless and faltering people. God puts out the summons to remember. It is the insistence to remember, God is saying in the book of Deuteronomy, that makes that people and us who we are. Four quick injunctions, different ways in which the command to remember is used in the book of Deuteronomy. First, we are called to remember what God has done on our behalf. Listen to Deuteronomy 5.15 again. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So every Sabbath day, for us the Sunday, is itself a memorial day. To what end and to what purpose is God's activity on our behalf if we do not remember it. Remembrance and thanksgiving for it is part of what makes God's presence vivid and real to us. The the Passover peace, feast, which Moses himself instituted, was to remind people that it was God and not we ourselves who brought us out of liberation into Egypt. So we are given memories to encourage us and so that we might never, ever forget and so that we might be forged together as a people. I was uh, researching the St. Andrew's Library one day and I did something I don't... I've never done this intentionally before, but I went over into a field I'd never studied in and I I thought there might be some inter-fertilization from it so I was reading just randomly in ritual studies and I came across a a really wonderful uh, uh, transcription about a a person in the culture which was doing a rather bizarre behavior and the the interviewer was saying, well, why do you do that? Why do you do that very thing? And uh, the response came back, well, if we don't, We aren't. Memory is part of the recollection that makes us who we are, reminds us who we are as a people. It gives us our our identity before God. Remember who you are. 
the people of Israel were constituted as a people by their deliverance out of Egypt. We are constituted as a people of God by our deliverance, by God's great gift of sacrifice on a cross. Secondly, we remember what God does to enemies and obstacles we face. Deuteronomy 7.18 You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The most often repeated commandment in Scripture, at least in the New Testament, is be not afraid. We are fearful because we are forgetful of the mighty power of God which is arrayed on our behalf. Greater is he who is with us than those, all of those that are marshaled against us. Then, on a more sobering note, we are to remember our transgressions. Deuteronomy 9.7 Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Part of our identity, part of knowing who we are, as is people who are in re- have been in rebellion against God and who are saved by grace. We are people who need a Savior. Confession is at the center of who we are to be as a people. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Confess who we are. Then we are to remember those who are models for us of faith. Deuteronomy 9.27 Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were models of the faith. There are people who have poured the faith into you who you cannot pay back. But uh, I was at a seminar once where I got this sage advice. You can't pay some people back, but you can pay them forward. Not only by paying others forward, but you can tell their story. Tell the story of those who have poured the story of the faith into you. And then perhaps most importantly of all is the great promise, the gospel promise that God remembers us. God says, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. God remembers us as part of the great promise of the gospel. We've been looking at the book of Romans, and we come to Romans 14. We've already introduced the fact that um, the last part of the book of Romans, turning like a hinge after chapter 11, in light of this great gospel, in light of this great promise, therefore. So in light of what God has done on our our behalf, this is how we should then live. It is empowered, it is engendered, it is only made possible if we remember. Lives are shaped and lives are changed on the basis of remembering and marinating in the gospel. That's how we are formed in Christian discipleship and in disciplines. So at the opening of uh, chapter 14, we have this really extraordinary verse. 
except those who are weak in faith. And much of the rest of the chapter 14 really amplifies on that, and we return to it in the opening verse of chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I said this is an extraordinary verse because it almost turns upside down, turns on its head the teaching of our contemporary culture. Our contemporary culture lifts up the virtue of tolerance almost above all others. It says whatever you do, don't judge, don't evaluate, don't discriminate, but because I've extended that privilege to you, don't expect me to adjust my life in any way whatsoever towards you. In this chapter, and more concentratedly in this verse, Paul turns that conventional wisdom on its head. He says, except those whose faith is weak. He's making a judgment there. He's evaluating others. He's saying, there are those who are immature, who are weak, who are probably wrong, who are mistaken. He is making a judgment, but then he's saying, accept them. The word means literally open up your arms, make space for them, adjust your life. It is the reverse. We are in humility, not looking down our nose at anyone, but in the power of the Spirit to make discernment, to make judgments, and to be wise. And then to adjust our lives around one another, to accommodate, to accept, to open wide, to make space. How do we go about that? Doug Moo says in his commentary on Romans, we, do you realize in the Greek this verse literally says, we who are strong should bear the weak? What does that mean? Paul's not urging the strong simply to bear with or to tolerate or to put up with the weak and all of their scruples. Paul is calling us to sympathetically enter deeply into the attitudes of the weak, refraining from criticizing and judging them and to do what love would require towards them. How do we summon up that kind of strength? How do we become strong enough ourselves to do that as ever? It is to remember, it is to look, it is to see. And when we look at Jesus Christ on the cross, when he died, he was judging. He was saying, you are sinners. You are in rebellion. You need a savior. He was saying that we are weak. And at the same moment, he was making space for you and me. He was adjusting his life. He was sacrificing so that you and I can be with him. When we remember what Christ has done, when we look at, when we see what Christ is doing, then, and perhaps only then, we can turn around and do it for someone else. Father, we are thankful for occasions to remember to remember those who in service to our state have sacrificed that 
We might worship you this way in this place. That We might have a nation which we believe has been called to be a light to the nations, but more importantly, we pray that we might remember your great constituting acts on our behalf. How you have made us a people through the gift of Jesus Christ, through his life and teaching and death and resurrection and present reign and bestowal of your life-giving, life-enhancing spirit. Father, we need to remember who we are, sinners, in need of your grace. We need to remember those who have poured the faith into us and tell their stories and pay that debt forward. We need to remember that you are the God who by your covenant promise has promised to remember us. For all these things, on this memorial weekend, we give you our thanksgiving and our love. In Jesus' name.